goes without saying, 2020 has been a very difficult year and all of us are feeling grief and loss. To those of you who have lost somebody that you love to COVID-19, we are with you. To those of you that have had to attend a funeral online or over Zoom, we are with you. I was chatting to somebody in our church just a few days ago whose grandfather wasn't very old but died from COVID and he said, it's surreal. I don't feel like it's real yet because I wasn't allowed to see him before he got sick due to COVID and then I wasn't allowed to attend the funeral due to COVID. If that's you, we are with you. To those of you who have lost your job or your business or your sense of income and you don't know where your next paycheck is going to come from, we are with you. To those of you dealing with mental health or anxiety or depression, you're not alone. Jesus is with you and we are too. To those of you who are angry or sad over just all of the chaos of the last year and the evil and the injustice, we are with you. There is just so much to lament from 2020, but... It's also just as true, and you know it. There is so much to give thanks for. I don't know about you, but a, a hitting gift of 2020 and all of the pain and all of the suffering has been, I think it put me way more in touch with just what a gift life actually is and all of the things that I take for granted, my health, my body, 80 years of life, family and friends, the, a chance to gather around a table of people I love, just a roof over my head, food on my table, clothes on my back, the fact that I'm warm and dry and safe right now, not to mention the hope of the gospel, that our hope is not the future of Western civilization, it's not that our career is up and to the right, it's not a relationship status, it's not a sense of security or well-being. Our hope is in the return of Jesus to make all things new, and that is set in stone. That is certain due to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so this year, I just think it's time to give thanks. We made it. It's the end of the year. We're nearing 2021. Never has living through the end of a calendar year felt like such an accomplishment and at the same time like such of a gift from God. So all we want to do now is we just want to curate a few minutes for you to turn to the people around you, if you're with your family or your friends or your roommate, and just say to one another, a kind of half prayer, half kind of sharing, what you are thankful for to God right now, something that you just are in touch with, how grateful you are. If you're alone, pull out your phone and shoot a text of gratitude to somebody, or just take a moment of prayer to God. And let's just take a few minutes to cultivate gratitude before we continue. Now in this next moment, we just wanna take a minute to center our hearts around gratitude. So I'm gonna read a call and response liturgy and invite you to join me at home as I do so. O oh God of all people, we come before you today with hearts prepared to give thanks. We know that we are to show gratitude in all circumstances, and this season of uncertainty is no exception quiet our hearts in this moment. We have joined together with many walls and with many miles between us to lean into the goodness of who you are 
who you have been and who you will be. Join me in saying, we give thanks in all things. Father, we carry in our mortal bodies the burdens of this year, and yet we remember your presence and your faithfulness. Through every news headline, with every voice crying out for justice, in every private moment laden with fear and anxiety, you have still been God and you have still been good. We give thanks in all things. O oh, great Redeemer, grant us the ability to hold the deep sorrow for all that has been lost today and in years past, amidst the deep gratitude for all with which we have been blessed. Even in our pain, Lord, you are good. We give thanks in all things. The earth in its fullness are yours, O Lord, yet you remember us and are mindful of our most menial moments. We have come before you with gratitude for the care and attention you give to each of us, even as we too often fail to be attentive to you. For you alone, O God, are the giver of every good and perfect gift. We give thanks in all things. O God, from whom all blessings flow, we thank you for all you have given. O God, from whom all blessings flow, may we thank you in all circumstances. In every season, may we hope in you and give thanks. We give thanks in all things. Amen. That said, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We read a selection of Isaiah 9 earlier with D, but let me read to you the passage as a whole. What we're about to read is a prophecy from the 8th century BC from Isaiah. It was written at a time when Israel was in a very dark place, in exile, not in a good time. Israel was waiting and watching for a king who would come to usher in the kingdom of God, a king who would usher in peace and prosperity, not only for Israel, Israel, but for the entire world. Read with me, Isaiah chapter 9. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. How does that sound? No more gloom. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. That's where Jesus was eventually from. The people, here's the prophecy, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoiced before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppression. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire, meaning no more war, no more violence at all. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, 
and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Do you know the origin story of the Christmas tree, like the one here to my right? We know for sure, historians tell us, that it goes back to German Christians in the 16th century. The legend, though, is that it goes back to Martin Luther himself, the founder of the Protestant Reformation. The story goes something like this. One December night, Martin Luther was out on a walk in the forest, and he was kind of writing in his mind a Christmas sermon for that coming Sunday. And at one moment, he was struck by the beauty of the stars on a clear December night up through the canopy of the forest, through the trees. And he was so struck by that visual image that he cut down a Christmas tree and took it back to his house, into his kitchen or his living room, and set it up there with his family and put candles on it, which is yes, a fire hazard, but put candles on it for all to teach all of his six children, his family as a whole, the meaning of Advent. Now, this became a tradition in the Luther household, so the story goes, and then all across Germany, but not all across the world. German immigrants, a century or two later, brought Christmas trees to what we now call Pennsylvania in the 1700s, but Christmas was looked down upon by the wider society outside of Germany and America and England because of its pagan history. In fact, fun fact, in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts made the observance of Christmas, other than for a church service, a penal offense. You can literally receive a fine for Christmas spirit outside of church. True story. It wasn't until 1848 that the Christmas tree became socially acceptable in America when newspapers ran a picture of Queen Victoria, who's a pop icon across the world, across the ocean, along with her entire royal family and Prince Albert, her husband, all around a Christmas tree. At that moment, something clicked over and it spread to culture at large. But even then, the first tree wasn't put up in Rockefeller Plaza in New York until 1931. And in the Vatican in Italy, it was not put up until 1982 because of the dubious history of the reformer Martin Luther and the Christmas tree. I say that because there is a spiritual kind of logic to the symbol of a Christmas tree and lights on an evergreen tree and to December 25th as Christmas Day. Ancient Christians chose December 25th to celebrate Advent in the church calendar, not because Jesus was born on December 25th, he most likely was not, but for a few reasons. One, to replace the Roman festival of Saturnalia due to its pagan and immoral nature, but two, because they thought that winter solstice, at least in the northern hemisphere, was the best time of the year. Remember, this is in an agrarian world where people are more in touch with the seasons and kind of the rhythm 
time of the year and the length of the day, they felt that winter solstice was the best time of year to get in touch with the heart behind Advent, that feeling of dark and cold and winter when all around you is dormant and there's no green or very little green and very little life. The evergreen tree is symbolic that it's kind of that symbol of life in the dead of winter. But it's the lights on the evergreen tree that resonate at a deep, almost archetypal level in the human spirit. That feeling of light in the darkest, longest night of the year, that is such a good image of Christ's coming on the first advent. And the image of Christ coming as light goes all the way back to long before Martin Luther to before the time of Christ himself. We read Isaiah's prophecy of the coming king and kingdom. Let me requote that line to you. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light as dawned. If your Bible is still open, go ahead and turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Read with me what the biographer of Jesus, Matthew, has to say about that passage in Isaiah. Matthew 4 verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Here's Isaiah 9. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Here's the writer Matthew saying, Jesus is what Isaiah was pointing forward to. He is the light. Jesus himself later said, I am the light of the world, a famous saying of Jesus. Now light, inside of scripture and outside of it, in the ancient world and the modern one, is a metaphor for illumination. Think of the saying, let me shed a little light on it, or I'm in the dark, meaning I don't know. Think of that feeling of groping in the dark through a room and you can't see how to walk forward. That's what the world was like before Jesus, groping in the dark for a way forward. Humans, religious or secular, Christian or not at all, are meaning-making machines. We can't help, we can't live without meaning, and we can't help but ask the primal questions of human existence. Who am I? What is a human being? What does it mean to be human? What is the meaning or purpose of life? What is the good life? How do I become a good person? Does anyone love me? Is the world around me safe and open to love or is it hostile and dangerous? Is there hope for the future, for things to get better in time? Without Jesus, we are just grasping in the dark, the proverbial kind of blind man and the elephant, trying to make sense of the mystery and horror and wonder and beauty and pain of the human condition. Every religion, every philosophy, every ordinary human life is just an attempt to answer the questions of human existence or to avoid them as long as you can through distraction. But in a year like 2020, 
and a global pandemic and a recession and political polarizations, you just can't avoid the questions of life. You can't avoid your mortality and the reality of death and the reality of suffering before death. Life in 2020 is not up and to the right. The illusion of upward mobility has been shattered by reality. And there is a lot that we still do not know. We do not know how long the pandemic will last. We do not know much about how long it will take for the vaccine to work. We will not, do not know how long it will take for our church to come back together again. We do not know how long the socio-political tension will last or in what way, shape, or form. But here is what we do know. Christ has come. He has died. He has risen from the dead. And Christ will come again. And the kingdom of God has come near in Jesus and by the Spirit. We are living with at least one foot in it now. And the best part of the kingdom is yet future. But light in scripture is more than just a metaphor for illumination. It's, it's for a kind of illumination that is a whole new vantage point on the world, on human history, on the future, on reality, that does something to engender in our heart, in the heart of a disciple of Jesus, love and joy and peace and hope. That's why winter solstice is such a great time of year for Christmas. On December 25th, the world is dark, at least in our neck of the woods, it is dark and cold and gloomy and winter is still in full force. But from winter solstice on, the days are getting longer and warmer and summer is coming, even if it does not feel like it at all. In the same way, Jesus birth, his coming, his advent was the winter solstice of the human condition. It was the turning point in human history. Yes, winter is still around. Yes, the world is still dark and cold at times and hostile and full of gloom. There is evil and injustice, but summer is coming, so to speak. Jesus is coming. The kingdom of God is coming in full force. An epoch of peace and prosperity are on the horizon and set in stone, all because of Jesus coming in a cave outside of the village of Bethlehem, all because God was born as a human being. Because of Jesus coming, as Isaiah said, the government will be on his shoulders. I love that line. I've been in meditation on that line for weeks now. Not my shoulders, not your shoulders, not our church's shoulders or our city's shoulders or our nation's shoulders, not President Trump's shoulders, not even President-elect Biden's shoulders, but on his shoulders. Jesus is the subject of the verb of human history. He is the primary agent in the healing and the renewal of all things. Yes, we participate to the full as we apprentice under Jesus, but the government's on his shoulders. Again, not mine, not yours. Our hope is not in politics or economics or technology or science, as good as all of that stuff is, but Jesus is the one who has saved the world, is saving the world, and will save the world, past, present, and future. So in just a moment, as we light the candles of Advent, this is a, sim a symbolic moment for us to get in touch with the light of Jesus and the love and the joy and the hope and the peace that the light is symbolic for the gospel of Jesus himself. Every morning, um, I get up 
early in an attempt to get a little time of stillness and prayer with God, just to receive the love of the Trinitarian community, just to look at God looking at me in love, to read a little scripture and just to sit and give thanks before God and to listen to start my day. And I attempt to do that because once my kids are up, God bless them, there is no more stillness in the Comer house. But I love it this time of year. I love to get up early. It's pitch black outside. And I love to sit on the couch with a cup of coffee and to turn on the lights in our Christmas tree. And we put extra lights on in 2020. We literally did. And I love to just think about how the light on the tree is what I, in prayer, attempt to align my heart with the hope and the love and the joy and the peace of the gospel of Jesus, a visual cue for me to tap my heart into the gospel. So as we light the candles right now, and go ahead and start to do that in your living room if you're with family or friends, at the same time, let love and joy and peace and hope, let that alight in your own heart. Summer is coming, yes, our whole city is excited about that. 2021 is just days away. But far more importantly, the return of Jesus is coming to make all things new. That is our future and our hope. And we wait and we watch for the next advent of Jesus, the Son of the living God.